You're listening to the Staffing and Recruiter Training Podcast, hosted by industry expert, speaker, and sales trainer, Scott Love. Hi, this is Scott Love, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Great Recruiter Training Podcast. It's nice to have you along on the ride. So here we are going into the middle part of the year. Where are you at in terms of where you want to go? One idea I'll give you right now, starting out of the gate, is set an annual billing goal. Whether you're on the staffing side, what are your sales, your commissions? Or you're on the search side, what are your billings? And I'd recommend creating a United Way fundraising thermometer sort of graph. Graph it up, and then you write in at the top of the graph what is it that you want to bill or earn for the year. And each time you make a sale or you make a placement, you color it in with red. And this does two things. First, it validates and it says that you are a champion and you are on your way. You're achieving success on the way to your goal. It reinforces that, yeah, you can actually do this. And secondly, the white space that you see, it applies stress. And there's nothing wrong with stress. Most people think stress is negative. It's not. It's just a tool to help you go forward. You just have to learn how to manage it. And that's where the problems are with most people. But that white space, it tells you that you have room that you need to grow in. I'll tell you what. I am doing a lot more coaching with successful recruiters people that want to make a small investment and get big dividends where I work as their coach and we set goals together and I hold their hand and mentor them and I'm able to say, hey, don't step over there. There's a blind spot for you. I love doing that. Think through what is it that you want to achieve for this year and write it down in a measurable format today on a thermometer calendar. Put it on a dry erase board. Put it up on your wall. Look at that every day. That is your tip right out of the gate. So thanks for joining me on this podcast. I'm going to give a shout out to a couple of companies I'm doing business with, and I really appreciate your business. I really do. Management Recruiters International, thank you so much for all the regionals that I'm doing this year. It's great to meet you guys. you got a great system, and I commend you for doing that. At Work Staffing, I'm looking forward to doing another round of webinars. American Staffing Association, it was great doing the March Money Month for all the salespeople, all those five webinars, and thank you for choosing me to speak at Staffing World. It's official. I'll be there, so come up and say hello to me. Uh, Alabama Staffing. I'll see you guys here late April. NPA, thanks for having me speak at your conference in Washington. Top echelon. That was great doing that webinar, and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys at your conference this fall. So that's it. I'm pretty much done for booking live gigs for the year, unless you've got something special going on. What I am doing, though, is doing a lot of virtual Skype training for firms. It's a lot more economical than doing that and paying for my flights and martinis, I'll tell you that. Uh, If you're interested, just email me And we'll set up a time, and I'll spend five minutes telling you about this, and you can decide if it's something that you're interested in. Email is scott at scottlove.com. And we'll talk about the virtual Skype team team training. I've done that for firms as far away as Australia and India, and I'm looking to do that domestically so that I don't have to travel as much because that gets really old, and it gets in the way of other things I want to do. Even though I love it, if you're geographically close to D.C. or if you're out in Arizona or Vegas or California, let me know because those are places I get to fairly frequently. Oh, and also California staffing professionals. I'll see you guys in May. So let me know if you're interested in the virtual Skype team training. It's a brand-new initiative. And one of the things I want to talk about now is a blog post called The Death of Recruiting written by my good friend Phil Newman who's the head of internal recruiting over at Home Depot. And I know Phil. He's someone I would consider a friend. He's actually hired me to do training for his internal recruiters at his previous company, so I kind of get where he's coming from. Plus, he's a former third-party recruiter, so he does have credentials where he knows what the business is all about. He wrote an article that is getting a lot of visibility because it's entitled The Death of Recruiting. He says that what third-party recruiters do 
is dead. It's not just change is dead, that you can't do that anymore. I would say that in many ways he's right, but I wouldn't say it's dead. If the war on talent was over, then what internal recruiters are doing would work, but it doesn't work because third-party recruiters are having record years. What I will tell you is that it's changed. And what has changed is that the middle is no longer there. I've consulted at recruiters where they have seen their clients become their competitors as they built up resources. You see what happened, if you look at the evolution of technology, back in the old days when Monster and CareerBuilder were the only ones out there, back in the mid-90s, you know, mid-90s to late-90s, that's when you started seeing passive candidates. There were job boards, you know, passive candidates and active candidates. There were job boards where an active candidate would put his resume on the job board, and boom, he was an active candidate. When I started recruiting in 96, really before, about two or three years before those got some momentum, you couldn't tell if somebody was active or passive because there were no job boards. But now somebody's an active candidate. What smart recruiters, third-party recruiters have done, they've realized that they're not chasing those active candidates because when they would present them to their clients, their clients would say, well, your guy looks really good, but the only difference between your guy and my guy is that your guy cost me $25,000 and my guy is the same person because I've got the same resources you're using. So that middle, entry level, mid-level, in a lot of ways has disappeared except for key industries where there is demand that is outpacing supply. And the interesting thing about supply is that the people are there. The supply is not limited. I mean, it is limited, but it's not diminished in terms of its availability when you go through a third-party recruiter. But the supply is the active candidates because that's all that corporations can get. I would rather take 10 referrals over social media any day because the top performers, if you can get to them through a referral, those are the ones that really don't care about their competitors' social media brands. Now, this is just my opinion. There's lots of opinions on this. But I have been in hundreds of offices. I have coached hundreds of people. I've trained thousands of recruiters all over the world. And I'm actively doing placements. I've got my thumb on the pulse. I'm setting up interviews. I'm taking searches. This isn't 1985, like that was when my last deal was. Okay, I'm actively involved in this game of third-party recruiting. And you can do quite well if you know how to do two things. Number one, get people to trust you. And number two, get people to take action. If you can do those two things, then you can rule the world. If you can get a passive candidate that's not even looking, who is successful, that doesn't care about his competitor's social media brand, to listen to you, to take your advice, you get in his head, you build the trust, the walls come down, and they give you permission to ask questions like, What's keeping you from being completely satisfied? What does your ideal situation look like? Do you think it's possible that there could be something better than you, your current situation? You think that's a possibility. And you slowly move them forward. And then you get them to agree to take action. Why don't you just meet with my client for a 60-minute cup of coffee? And just have a very casual discussion, learn about them, and then you can decide for yourself after that one meeting if it's worth it to take the next step, or we part as friends. Whatever you want to do, I'm fine with. You see what I'm saying? That's all you got to do. But you got to do it a lot. And you got to deal with all the rejection and all the voicemails that you're leaving. 
And that is what's called the cost of doing business. There's a cost, and that's the cost at your time, where things just don't work out. If you have five interviews that you set up and only one of them closes, well, that means that 80% of what you work on doesn't bear fruit. And you've got to find ways to make money off of your activity in other ways. So is recruiting really dead? It's changed, my friends. It's changed. It's not what it used to be. Will it change still? I think it's going to get even more competitive to find those candidates. What you've also seen, because companies are willing to pay fees now, and what Phil needs to realize is that companies are willing to pay third-party fees. If you care about low-hanging fruit, and if the C-level people, C-level like A, B, C, the people that are not A-pluses, they're not B-pluses, they're C-pluses, if you can run your company like that, then absolutely right, social media, electronic recruiting, active candidates, that's the way to go. But if your company depends on highly skilled executives and talent, a competitive industry, not talking about hardware with all due respect to retail, I'm talking about consulting, manufacturing, sales, IT, healthcare, competitive industries, where they've got to have specialized skills that are not fungible from one industry to another, that talent pool is still there. It's not shrinking. It's still there. It's just the people's receptiveness to making a move is decreasing because of the noise of social media. And really, they don't care. What, is it ca what causes someone to make a move? It's someone like you and me tapping them on the shoulder and asking that question. Do you think it's possible there could be something better? Maybe. Why don't you take a minute and let's talk? Okay. Why don't you spend an hour and go talk? Okay. Hey, you're absolutely right. Thank you for talking me into this. The two things I think you should measure one of them is the number of conversions. How many times do you turn a no, I'm happy where I'm at, into a yes? The other one is, how many referrals do you get? When you talk to someone that says, no, I'm happy, and you keep them on the line and you build your rapport with them, how many referrals do you get from that person? If you don't see an increasing trend in those two areas, you will lose to your competitors. Because companies are paying fees, a lot of people are getting into the executive search industry because it doesn't look that hard. What are the barriers to entry? Not even a website. Use your LinkedIn page and your cell phone and an email, and that's all you need. You're in business. So because there's a lot of competition now, there's a lot of noise, their clients are thinking, well, there's a lot of recruiters doing this, so I don't need to pay higher fees. I think what you're going to find in the next two years is companies are starting, going to start being willing to pay fees again because they're going to see that all those contingency recruiters are given searches to are not producing results. And so when they start working with specialized recruiters, perhaps even some of those that work on a modified retainer basis, they're going to see results because the pain is going to increase to the point that they've got to solve those problems. They can't keep hitting at it with the skip and, play, skip and playing games with it. And they're going to be frustrated because social media is getting noisier and noisier and noisier. If I asked a room of people to just listen to this, I'd say, I have one guy, stand up, say your name. My name's Mark. Say your name over and over again. Mark, Mark, Mark. Everybody in the room, all 150 people would hear him. But if I had everybody stand up and say their names over and over and over again, you wouldn't be able to hear Mark. You wouldn't be able to hear anything because of the noise. That's the world of social media. What I think smart companies realize is that we're going to build an internal recruiting force to capture the C-plus and the B-minus talent. 
and the people where the quality does not depend. And we can have someone that's moved every two years because they'll be gone in two years, but that's okay. That's good enough for that particular position. But for the high quality talent, especially at the executive level, where nuance can make or break a deal, where they've got to get specialized skills that can only be learned through years and years of development, the only way they're going to find that talent is by going through someone like us. So no, my friend, Phil, and I mean that sincerely, I respect you for stating your opinion. And I don't play games with it. If somebody doesn't agree with something, I'm not going to badmouth them. I'm really not. I'm going to say I respect you, but respectfully, I disagree. And that's my stance on that. Recruiting's not dead. It's changed. You're absolutely right. It's changed. And we've got to look at it more as a professional services business, not as some sort of phone jockey sales job, which in a lot of ways it still kind of is, but especially on the client-facing side, showing them that this is a professional skill, that we have a process that we follow. I get a lot of emails from recruiters saying, my owner is refusing to invest money in training. What should I do? And I'd say, find another search firm to join because there are plenty of them out there that will do this. If you're with a firm that is not making any sort of investment, even if it's the investment of time in developing your team, it's time to move elsewhere. There's too many opportunities right now. This is actually a relatively good time in the search industry, as long as you're willing to do the work. The question I have for you is, what is the work that you're doing? Are you spending the time reading, studying, listening to the podcast? I got to tell you, I appreciate all the emails through LinkedIn and through my emails that I get for the work I do on the podcast. I really do appreciate that. That means a lot to me. And I get something every day, and I really do appreciate that. I really enjoy spending time with people where I get to know them over, like when I do the 90-day six-session coaching package. I really get to learn about them, and I'm so proud of them when they break through their barriers. I've coached people as long as 10 years. And I've seen them grow and blossom into amazing producers. It's very exciting. I really believe this, that recruiting is a personal development opportunity disguised as a job. This business will cut you open into the core of your being and let you look inside. And that's where you see where you've got to change. That's the only way to make this business work. And with that, I'm not trying to get too motivational here, <laughs> but let's take a short break. We'll be right back. And we'll talk about how do you start climbing up the ladder to get higher fees. If you own or manage a recruiting firm, do you ever get tired of training the revolving door of recruiters? Are you disappointed with the performance results of your team? Do you wish your recruiters could finally develop consistent and higher levels of production? Then delegate your training to Scott Love. Through his multi-million dollar interactive online training platform, he can show your recruiters how to close more deals in less time with higher fees. Visit RecruiterVT.com for a free demo today. So let's talk about how do you move up the food chain in your deals. I remember when I started in the business, I was doing just low-level, not necessarily entry-level positions, but I would do three, four-year candidates out of school and maybe some mid-level managers, and that was pretty much it. And if you told me I got to call the president of a company, I'd say that's kind of scary for me, and I don't want to do that. My four-year-old little girl, I'm so proud of her. Her name's Maya. She's just so sweet and beautiful, just like her mom. She's an adventurous kid. And one day, we were going to see Chewbacca at the Maryland, Maryland Renaissance Festival. 
there was a guy dressed as Chewbacca because everybody knows they had Wookiees during the days of the Renaissance. I mean, she, she was afraid of him. And she and I have these conversations when she's afraid of something. I've, I've taught her that that's why you should do it. Action dissipates fear. And I told her, I said, what do you think you should do? She said, I think I should get close to him. I said, face your fear. So she walks up to him. And she gets really close, and she has this great big smile, and I take her picture, and you can find it on my Facebook page. Connect with me on Facebook if you haven't already, and you can find it there. And I was so proud of her because action always dissipates fear. Last month, she's at the playground, and she hears a little girl on the swing saying, I'm afraid, and Maya says, that's why you should do it. <laughs> Face your fear. When you start calling higher-level executives, it starts getting comfortable for you. And then you start working your, food, your way up the food chain. You start talking with vice presidents, chief operating officers, chief executives, and then the chairman of the organization. And you're going to find that you develop a skill with this and that these people are the smarter people. And I don't know about you, but I always play golf when I'm playing with better golfers. I play golf at a higher level when I'm playing with professional golfers because I've got to pay attention. It's the same way when you deal with high-level executives. So don't, don't be afraid. If you have any fear about this, I would encourage you to just start making more of those calls. When I knew that I wanted to start getting higher level searches, I made a, a, a deal with myself. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to call anybody and say I've got a phantom job when I don't. And I want to have truth in my voice. That was just the deal I made with myself. And so I thought, you know, I want to get some higher level searches. And so all the people that were at the VP level I would call to get search assignments from I decided I'm going to call them, and I'm going to ask them this question. I'm going to say there's a good chance that in the next six months, I will have some positions that are very close to what your profile is. If and when I come across them, would you be open to hearing about those opportunities? I went through a couple of no's, a couple of maybes, but you know what I was looking for? Let me close my door. And during that evolution that took maybe about two months, I found three candidates. One was a CFO. One was a VP of operations. One was a chief operating officer. They were candidates that allowed me to market their profiles. So then, if I'm calling people at that level, who in the organization am I asking for? Chief operating officers. You can do that, too. Check with your boss. Check with whoever it is that you're consulting to for advice on how you develop your desk. But there are two ways you can start making more money in this business. One way is to start doing more deals become really good at your efficiencies. The other way is to start doing higher level searches. And the third way is to do more deals and more frequently and at higher fees. Start improving across the board. I think as you start strategizing where you want to go in your career as a headhunter, as a recruiter, you need to look at what are those variables that are holding me back from pursuing higher level searches. And it's not for everybody, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you have a good, a good system where you're billing and you've got a rhythm, it might be a better idea just to stay there because you know you've got parts of it that you can delegate to other people. There's so many different ways to do this business. If somebody's on the staffing side, you might not have any idea what I'm talking about when I'm talking about this because it's a different business. There's different skills. Even though these two industries, staffing and recruiting, they're related, sometimes they're like second cousins, sometimes they're brother and sister, depending on the type of organization that you're in. But either way, if you're on the sales side on staffing, start negotiating. You start looking, learning how to do larger accounts. 
at higher percentages with your rates. That's how you get more margin that way. Start getting internal referrals. Do the things that make the high margin work come easier, such as staying in your warm market. Always expanding out through good, uh, through good ways to develop business into a cold market, yet without the cold calling. Okay, that just doesn't work as well. There's other ways. I'm not going to go into it now, but there's other ways to keep from having to do that. So that's my challenge to you is to face your fear. And with that, I want to say thank you for spending the time listening to the podcast. Check out my free resources, greatrecruitertraining.com. If you have an interest in the one-on-one coaching, look for the link that says private coaching. If you have an interest in having me spend time with you, if you've got a team and you want to talk about the virtual Skype team training, send me an email, scott at scottlove.com, and we'll talk for a few minutes and you can see if that's something that'll help you. Either way, thanks for listening. I appreciate your time and we'll talk with you next time.